Today we are in conversation with Per Ottesen. He is the CEO of Artificial Solutions and has been working in conversational AI for more than a decade. We talk about his career and how the industry has changed throughout that career. We discuss some of the pitfalls that companies make when they really start automating conversations at scale. So how do you build teams? How do you deal with multilingual situations? And he has a great word of advice for these enterprises. He says it's so easy to educate yourself right now. You can listen to podcasts, you can go to Clubhouse, watch videos on YouTube. There's so much you can learn and the barrier is so low that there's really no reason for these enterprises to be making any mistakes when they develop conversational AI deployments. I very much enjoyed this conversation and I know you will too. Good to see you, Pear. Thank you so much for doing this today. Great to see you, Hans. It's yeah, a beautiful day to have a, a chat. It's, it's, a, it's a great day to have a chat about chatbots. Yeah, and, uh, and we're, we're going to, you know, as we were warming up for this talk, we discovered that you started speaking to Dutch me, which I thought was, was amazing. So uh, thank you so much. You've already made my day there. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, because I didn't know you lived in the Netherlands. So I already learned something, but I think we're going to learn quite a bit from you today. And the world um, is multilingual, right? So uh, it fits with today's topic. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be talking about that a little bit as well. So I guess maybe for, for people that might not know who you are, um, give us sort of the little bio and obviously like the name and what do you do, uh, but particularly like what's your story and... You know, how did you end up in the world of, of conversational AI? And, you know, you've been here for a very long time. So why, what have you been up to? And also maybe how have you seen this industry change? So, I, so I've been in software since high school. I started uh, building my own applications in, in high school. I I didn't graduate from a technical university. I went to, uh, went to got an MBA. From the Stockholm School of Economics, uh, but after that, I've been working in this industry ever since. So, since the 90s, which for some of your listeners is going to sound like a long, long time ago, and it is, that's when you still had your mobile phone, was actually a car phone stuck in your car. So, yeah. um, that's when I started in software. So, software is to me, that's the most fascinating field because I believe that all industries and all businesses are becoming software. And if you look at uh, I mean, company like Tesla, Tesla is a software company. Um, you look at a car today, there's hardly any people making the actual physical car. Most people are today are working in the, in the infotainment and software side. So mm -hmm. software is, well, is the business I'm, I wanted to be in, and it's the business I've stayed in since, since uh, university days. And is every software company becoming an AI company? Uh, I think so. I actually think AI is going to disappear as a concept. I, it's just another part of software development. I don't. I think that that that's a it's going to be a misused concept. And let's say twenty twenty five, nobody will use it anymore. It's just a part of uh, deep learning, machine learning. It's just a part of software development. I think. Yeah. So the umbrella has gotten so big that it's become empty almost. Like yeah. it's becoming a meaningless word over time. Yeah, yeah, I totally I, agree that. That makes sense. And so, so yeah, so we now know software. You started software early when they still had car, uh, phone cars. Uh, and, and how did you end up heading up artificial solutions? What's the journey? 
So the journey is, I started in the software automation in 96. And that was with a company called Computer Associates, which had a new platform, not on the mainframe side, but they had a platform on the client server side called Unicenter. And Unicenter was automating tasks. And I just find this, this is the most fascinating part of software. How can you take tasks that are repetitive or tasks that humans maybe do not even want to do and uh, make those um, automated. And, and as you do that, what you also do is you're going to increase the quality and the, the customer experience is going, to, is going to gain from that too. So I then stayed in that business. Uh, so I've been in the automation business in different software companies. Uh, came into IPsoft uh, on that same tack with a, a, a product called IP Center, which by far was the best automation platform at that time, uh, which now you can mostly buy through IBM if you buy consulting or, or outsourcing through them. Brilliant product uh, for automating IT tasks, so the operation of IT. But then gradually uh, in the IPsoft, um, the automation of conversations started to also take face. And Chayton Bay, the founder and CEO there, he, he started creating a product in that space. And I then started working with that. And uh, that's... Uh, that's the story how it came into the conversational AI space. And that's that's now eight, nine years ago. So it's it's been quite some time. And I've seen all the all the successes and all the failures. Or rather I've seen many failures and a few successes in the, in this industry so far. And it's a, it's a fantastic industry. I can't imagine any other industry with so many competitors, most of which are, are very small and have very little technology, but still to get out there and, and sell. So it's a it's an interesting, uh, interesting industry by far. Artificial happens to have the approach that I think is the right approach to the market, which is helping customers, organizations build their own conversational AI, uh, which fits with their brand, with their tone, with the way they want to interact with their customers, but making that easy. So I compare it to a bowling alley. You want to you make a strike. But you know, if they raise the bumpers on the bowling alley, it's going to increase your chances of making a strike. So, so we are the bumpers on the bowling alley. We help customers design in the right way. So you still need very competent people to do it. But we have to do that. And that's uh, how I ended up with artificial. And actually it was through the company Swisscom and that I met with and, uh, and heard their journey with artificial solutions. And they're joining us also in the summit in London, the AI summit in London next week. Where they're joining us on stage to talk about their journey, but it's a it's a brilliant way of looking at this. How you you build the competency, maybe use a partner in the beginning, build up your center of excellence, you train people from the business side into AI or conversational AI, and uh, yeah, that's where that's how I got into artificial. So yeah, and is that kind of is is that then also what artificial solutions you know focuses on is is recognizing that. And I think we have a similar philosophy here is that every company will have their own AI assistant that they're going to use to automate all the conversations that they have and, and maybe create new ones. But it's a capability that you need to develop on your own. You can't just outsource that. Um, but it's it's more complex than people might initially think. So you can't just throw it in with templates and everything. Like You need to learn to do it yourself. It takes some time. And we're going to make that complex thing as easy as possible rather than thinking, Oh, you know, we'll just give you the tool and it's super easy to build. Yeah, so that's the, um, that is definitely artificial solutions. Let me, let me maybe come into a bit what I see in that industry. Maybe that ties into why this is also the, the right way to go. So 
uh, out of the, um, there's probably 250 million people working in customer care today, and that's the main use case for conversational AI still. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of internal use cases, but usually those are like test cases for going external. So um, let's say that there's a quarter of a billion people working in that, and, and many customers have millions of interactions per month. So I would say just in Sweden, there's probably at least 10 or 15 companies, organizations that have more than a million interactions with their customers per month. Uh, as you go out globally, you're going to be in the uh, high thousands, let's say 10, 15,000, and more than a million. Yet, I only know of a handful of conversational AI solutions that have a million conversations per month. Um, and, and many of those are actually ours. And the reason for that is that if you start with a, a low-budget POC or pilot, uh, or you start with a solution that was really built for somebody else or built with somebody else, Mm -hmm. then you're going to end up in a corner where it's not going to be developable across your your whole company. And a great example of this is, let's say you chose a embedded conversational AI from one of your software vendors. Let's say you have a conversational AI from SAP. Well, that's going to work with your SAP systems, but that's not really what you're after. You're after having an employee they can actually talk to all your systems. So mm. you need that employee. When you hire that employee, you would train the employee, you would do all that stuff to that employee, and you would give them the guidelines, give them the tools to succeed. But yet, many companies today, they hope to do a chatbot project. We, just, we had a conversation the other week with um, a Swiss company, an insurance company, and they had a budget of 15,000 euros to build a, a conversation in AI. Now, that's not going to work. <laughs> It's pointless, right? And that's why we have so many failed projects. And with artificial, you can start small. And the software doesn't cost a whole lot. But what you do need is you need somebody to help you design the solution yeah. and the conversations and the whole experience around that. So our, our, we have a, a customer, a big tech company in the US, and the, they just recently published that they have a $39 million return on investment in the investment in our technology. Our technology is a couple of hundred thousand dollars out of that, uh, but a couple of million dollars went to the partner that's actually building the solution and also training them to have a center of excellence to maintain this in the future. So we want to have the solution that really helps the team design, build, refactor, add languages, collaborate, the maintenance, the optimization of this, the performance optimization, really free the creativity by having that managed by us our platform, but you need to build your solution. And I, and that's, I think it's been the problem with this, uh, this industry. Yeah. And McKinsey recently said, if you have a, a C-suite that understands technology, you're likely to have 32% higher profit than if you don't. And, and this is one of those spaces you, I mean, if your C-suite gets it, you will get the funding like Swisscom. Yeah. I mean, but what we've seen and um, quite a bit, quite a bit of, organizations are struggling with this, where they might have started with a POC, right? And I, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. See if you can hack it together, get the funding internally. Um, but then a large organization will say, okay, this works, we're committed. And then they just start over-investing too much. So they, they'll start bringing in all this technology. They start setting up these organizational structures around it immediately. And they have this conversational mindset that might go all the way up to the boardroom. But then they're so behind 
on the skill set that just needs to be developed in the organization to truly have that capability around it. But because they kind of jumped in too excited, they were too excited and they invested too much, it, it's a very strange imbalance and, and a difficult gap to close. So we're looking at like, how do you, you know, how do you get there step by step? Because you can't just do one small step and then all the way jump to kind of the operation that you just described, right? So how do you go from starting to that end point? No, and I totally agree with that. And that's also why our software is free to start with in the sandbox environment. And that's where we find partners and organizations building the box, the pilots to get the funding. But if even if you get the funding, if your management doesn't understand the true yeah. value of this concept, yeah. you're still not going to succeed. I mean, uh, at Swisscom, for example, Urs Lehner, who runs all the B2B business, he's the one that really got this and was the champion of this. And unless you have somebody like that, you're still not going to succeed because you're going to end up being a fringe project. Yeah. And, uh, um, but absolutely, it's a step-by-step. -step. It's You have to do DevOps. You have to. There's no waterfall project here. It's not setting up in three years we're going to be there. Uh, you can have some goals, but uh, you better build yeah. it. Yeah, you got, you got to learn it, and it takes time so so i guess what you're saying don't think about it too lightly but it's complex but we're going to make that as easy as as, as possible yeah. and, and what we've noticed a lot is that um so there's organizations have lots of people that are very professional that have a lot of knowledge that have a lot of experience but it's always something around conversational ai so you'll have ux research you'll have engineers you'll have content people um and what they do is because they don't really understand the core of conversational AI, they sort of have strong opinions and visions and strategy around conversational AI, but not really directing the project itself from, from the ground up. Uh, that's why we're always big fans of create a conversational AI department and teach, give people the space and the freedom there to learn and, and direct a project. Rather but I think than you're having... also, but you're onto something there because you're, you should really take that multidisciplinary staff and you train them on conversational AI yeah. rather than the other way around. Because if you bring in people just from the outside, you're probably not going to have that tone of your company. And it, it needs to be yours. I mean, it's like a logo. You're not going to put a conversational AI out there that speaks the same at Mercedes as it does at Skoda because you have fundamentally different groups, fundamentally different brand, different pricing. So you need to have a different experience. And that's why you need to take people already in there at Skoda and train them and that's uh, obviously that's that's what conversational design institute does so you can always call hearts but it, it's uh, it's really key and if you look at circle k for example one of our successful implementations in retail uh, that's exactly what they did they reskilled their people rather than, than just going out and hiring new people another yeah. retailer is up in sweden uh, did the same thing it's a uh, it's a uh, i believe that's the, the best way to move yeah, and particularly I like people from customer service. Like you know, they talk to customers all day long. They often work in complicated interfaces and look stuff up and you know tracking products. Like those people are not intimidated when they now log into a conversational AI platform. So they can be skilled up. They're sort of human centric already. Uh, so they make great AI trainers or conversation designers. So yeah, source internally, skill up the right people, and then bring in some external experts to sort of guide them on that journey. Yeah, we see a lot of that. And when we talk about kind of like, you know, 
We now know where you're from. We know what you do, what you're passionate about. What excites you most? Is it the, is it the technology or is it solving? Because you seem very passionate about the complexity of the organization. What you so you have a business background, but you've always been in software. So are you more on like solving the technical problem or about the solution for what it means for an organization? What excites you most? I mean, what excites me is the solutions that customers build and the fact that we are not building it for them. And that's what I really like about artificial. So it's not uh, we are not building. We didn't build the Skoda uh, solution that they're using to sell cars. Um, we didn't build it. Uh, it was built by them and, and also Cognizant uh, also as a partner and integration partner. Uh, we didn't build the, uh, the, uh, the new IVR system at Swisscom where actually the solution picks up the phone and, and speaks in whatever language. We're in, in Switzerland, of course, you have many languages. So whatever language and whatever part of Swisscom you want to get a hold of, you just talk to that AI rather than uh, doing it. And we didn't build it. We didn't build the TV box at Swisscom or the TV box at AT&T, but they're brilliant solutions. And they're so much better than if we would have built them. I mean, if, if uh, let's say, Daniel, Andreas, and I were sitting in a room, uh, that's our CTO and CPO, and uh, we could probably come up with great ideas, but they wouldn't be great solutions, right? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, so so you're setting, you give you it's a gift to the world, and then you educate them, and you sort of tell them what's possible, and now you go out and venture out and build your own AI assistance. Yeah, and, and around that, so so recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, announced uh, Microsoft relationship. Uh, I guess that sort of plays into this a little bit as well, making it easier, giving people more opportunities to to build and and grow. What does this deal entail? What does it mean? What's the thinking behind it? What can you share? Well, the, the main thinking is uh, you're going to have everything is going to be cloud. Now that might take until 2025, but we actually have a highly regulated German company that's going cloud as we speak. So uh, it's going to be cloud. I mean, it's, it's just a question of time. And as you're going to the cloud, you better be cloud ready with your whole application stack. And, if you want to go in an enterprise setting, and, and uh, today, according to Goldman Sachs um, technology report, which came out, software technology report, which came out at the beginning of the year, they say that Microsoft is growing by far the most in enterprise. And we see this everywhere, right? Uh, there's more Snowflake implementations today on Microsoft than there are on others. All the new ones coming in are on Microsoft because Microsoft takes privacy seriously. So they. Their culture is very similar to our culture. We, we are not interested in taking the customer data and building our own applications, or we're not going to start our own bank or anything like that, just like Microsoft. And that's why Microsoft fits so well with us and with serious organizations across the globe. And that's why their Azure is taking such a big stake of the, uh, the total market. So we decided to be part of an ecosystem, and this was the one that fits us the best. Uh, so we're leaving Amazon, which we, we were at. Uh, and um, certainly Google is, uh, is even more difficult to grasp what they do with your data. So that would never happen. So that basically leaves Azure. And it's really a brilliant company to work with. They're very uh, easy, open. Um, they do not have something in this space. So typically you have to build this, what we have, you have to build yourself as a customer. Uh, that doesn't really benefit the customer, doesn't benefit Microsoft. So. With us, you can still use all the Microsoft tools, but you get all this collaboration, you get all the help in designing, you get those bumpers on the, on the bowling lane. 
so you don't have to go with the gutters. Um, and, and, and you can still use the Microsoft assets. And I also think that you're going to want to use the main asset where, where you tr put most of your training into, which is in the case of the Microsoft world and our world, it's Lewis. You're going to want to use something that's going to be around. And um, there's probably four or 510 engines today. And there's uh, solutions that sort of try to pick the best intent engine and all this other stuff. But it's going to be, you're going to need something that's really going to be around and accessible for other applications. And as you train this, you want to be able to use it in the future as well. And that's, I really believe that uh, Microsoft is going to be the best for that. So, And, and I mean, has, uh, has the CEO of Nuance given you a phone call yet? Because how <laughs> they acquired that. So what is, is there right, a the, play there? But Nuance is, uh, so Nuance didn't really, I mean, we haven't seen Nina in, in our industry for a long, long time. Nuance has the Dragon Speech products, which definitely connect into our product. The, we use them in a large company in Germany, for example, we are using Nuance as a speech to text, text to speech. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, the piece that competes with us, which is carrying on the conversation, um, that piece just stopped being developed many years ago, I would say two, three years ago. And Microsoft acquired Nuance for the healthcare part, which is the, the capability of a doctor to transcribe his patient interactions, patient journal directly as the interaction happens rather than afterwards, and which is a great ROI. And it also means that Microsoft now gets a B2B play into the healthcare industry. Whereas Apple, Facebook, uh, Amazon, they're all going B2C. Uh, actually, Google too, then tried to buy all sorts of healthcare. Did they buy Fitbit? I'm not sure if they actually. Yeah, yeah, Fitbit, Google. Did. Or it might be still pending, actually. But, yeah, I yeah. thought it was, there was something they couldn't quite buy it. But anyway, so Microsoft now goes B2B in there, which I think is absolutely the way to go. Don't go after people's consumers, help yeah. them make a better, better experience. Yeah, it, it, it seemed to come out of nowhere, that acquisition for outsiders, I guess people inside knew, but uh, on your side coming. But then the more you thought about it, it's like, oh, it's a genius move. It's like, yeah. it's very rich, but uh, it's, it's strategically, it's a very smart play. Um, your voice to text, text to voice came, came up a bit, right? Uh, came up quite a bit now. With your deployments, like, where do you now see... Um, do you see shifts more towards voice? Has it always been more voice in the call centers? Or how do you say it's like the it's, it's always voice. And even if, you know, people want to use WhatsApp or whatever channel, the younger they get, the more they use voice in WhatsApp. So they will send you a voice message rather than a text message. So voice is in every, every implementation at this point. And what we've done is we put a lot of effort in the last year into... Uh, the front end of the back end connectors. So you can connect all sorts of interfaces on the front end so that you can cover all channels, but also in the back end to all the back end systems. So you probably have your own voice. You might be building that on top of new ones. You might be building it on per voice. You might be building it on, um, you know, there's a plethora of, of implementations. If you're in Switzerland, you're probably going to be using Spitz, which is happens to have Swiss German. And it's the only one that has Swiss German. So you need to be open there on the voice side, and the voice is very regional. I mean, even even I, I, I venture to say, even in Holland, if you go to north of Holland, you probably need a different voice 
system yeah. than, than in the south. I'm I'm Frisian, so Dutch is oh, exactly, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's yeah. even different. Yeah. yeah, and and I guess so the the multilingual. I mean, that's European roots on your end, which I guess gets gives every European company an advantage over North American companies where we just have so many languages and so many regions has that um and i lost my video if you had ah, to get back there um, yeah you, you hit your elbow there um so, so it, it's it seems to be a key focus of uh, artificial right now as well right the multilingual component and, and localization and really doing that at scale <laughs> localization at scale global localization i guess is kind of what you're after um can you share a little bit about that the complexity and and what maybe other solutions could get wrong about this or maybe where you've made some mistakes as well trying to figure out this this big important puzzle well the, the biggest thing when it comes to localization is uh, translate or not translate and translate just looks very enticing if you have procurement looking at the project yeah. because that means you build once and then you let the machine translate but there is no customer that likes translate and the, i think the best example is amazon has lots of customer consumer data and uh, alexa has been around in sweden probably for two three years they have lots of conversations lots of text still when they translate their site and this is a year into amazon.se it's just hilarious to look at. I mean, the words are right, but it's just, yeah. they, they're totally out of context. And some of these are just fantastic. So there's still memes everywhere about the Amazon descriptions of stuff. You cannot translate a conversation. It just doesn't work. Today's episode is brought to you by Conversation Design Institute, the world's leading training and certification institute for people working in conversational AI. Organizations like Vodafone, NetWest, Adidas, and many others like Conversation Design Institute because of its easy-to-follow online courses on AI training, conversation design, and conversational copywriting. It really doesn't matter if you're creating your first chatbot or voice experience or if you're already experiencing the complexities of an enterprise operation. These courses and programs will help you deliver inclusive, human-centric experiences. The easy-to-follow workflow can be applied to all conversational interfaces and help you unlock the potential of conversational AI technology. To learn more, go to conversationdesigninstitute.com. That's conversationdesigninstitute.com, and I will see you there. And is there, because uh, obviously if, if you, you know, set up teams in every region that, you know, rewrite this stuff, is there, do you need a, is there a threshold to say, okay, if we have this many people reaching out to this assistant per month, that's when we justify, uh, like, true localization? I guess you, you need to have good localization to get, you know, at least 100 people interacting with it. But what are some no, of the considerations I, yeah. for organizations? Because we, we, for us, we're in an ivory tower and we just say, yeah, you need to have local teams doing German, doing Swiss German, doing Italian, doing all of it. But yeah, we're also dealing with, you know. Yeah, but budgets. actually, actually not necessarily. So we find that we can have conversational design done in one language and then use like a student. Yeah. Uh, so we have this hybrid learning, so we can actually generate the learning ourselves. So our system actually generates the learning for us. So you don't need to do the mechanical Turk that many of our competitors do, which is go out and really yeah. 
get the 1,000 ways of saying, I would like to buy a car. Uh, so the system can do that. So you can explode it in all the 86 languages that we cover today. So we have we built that core technology into all those languages. And I really don't think that you need uh, local people for all the local solutions. However, also your question is sort of, it's the other way around. So if you do not build it in Italian for the Italian customers, you're only going to get 10 Italians to interact with the solution. So there is no threshold. It's like if you want to be in Italy with your solution, it better speak Italian. Uh, if yeah. you want to go to Bulgaria, it better speak Bulgaria. Bulgaria. We're not going to go with A1 Bulgaria, which was one of our implementations right now. We're not going to go in and say, hey, let's do this in English, because we will get five users, and then management would say, hey, this makes no uh, yeah. No, makes no sense. Yeah, so what we see a lot now is, is that you sort of have your, your global team uh, where you have, you know, training the models, creating the conversations, you know, sort of being the editor-in-chief and then in the local markets, you sort of scale up to people to just sort of localize it and, and change the words. But the emotions and the expectations that people have when they reach out to see where their package is, is going to be the same in every country right so as long as the design makes sense of the conversation it will work everywhere but you need to understand you know what kind of emotions are triggered and, and what what the flow of the conversation needs to be and then people are very similar around the world even though we you know the most universal trait of humans is that we all think we're different I was like that little line. It's the same. So people respond the same way. So if group can figure out what the structure of the conversation is and they have trained the models, then you can bring in more junior people to put the words in the mouth of the local assistant, I guess. Yeah. yeah to, uh, so that's totally right. Uh, so localization, the first thing is do not translate. So, yeah. so that's the, the first step. The, the second step is that you want to pick a solution where you don't need huge amounts of data per language because you're not going to have huge amounts of data per language and that's going to be very costly to build. So you're going to need something that has a different way than just throwing machine learning at the problem. Um, we call it hybrid learning. It's actually patented. Uh, it's, uh, for, it's, it's used by many of the, the large tech companies in the world, but uh, for citations of our patent. Uh, but it's a patented te technology that just makes it, you don't need as much data essentially. So we think that that's a very, uh, very key trait to building multi-language. So that, that's the hybrid is between data and linguistic models. Yes. Or, yeah. 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 And for that, you would need our CTO to explain exactly how it works. But uh, what I can say is that it takes uh, a couple of weeks for a student to perfect a solution in a language for something as big as a telco. So it's really, uh, it's really different than, uh, than the yeah. others. You can focus on your experience. You don't need to focus on the language part. Yeah, and I think, uh, so you sort of see this shift in general, right? Where machine learning is a lot of times it's just throwing darts at a board and, and seeing what sticks, right? Oh, is that what you meant? Is that what you meant? But there's no true understanding of what is being said. and. Their cost, if you look at total cost of ownership and the ROI that companies are facing, then maybe machine learning isn't going to cut it because it just, it's just too much work. So you now see this big third wave, this revolution of more linguistic approaches. And now you're taking a hybrid between the two, which I find very interesting. Because I also think like just thinking, oh, linguistic model, 
can it really be that simple if once you figured it out? Probably not. So I like the, it's intriguing. If you look at Swiss console, without going into any of their, uh, their confidential data on how many sessions they have, they have a lot of sessions per month. But uh, they recently published an article saying they have 2.8 million phone calls that are responded to by their new IDR solution, which of course is built on Neo. And the interesting thing with that is, so that's that's millions per month, uh, 2.8. Well, it's if you say if you think it's a ramp up, which I believe it would be without knowing, but I would imagine there's less the first month and more the third month. Yeah. Then you're in the millions just with that solution per month, and that's the real litmus test of whether or not you found a solution to build on that actually works for you because everybody should have millions per month of these large organizations. I mean, Swisscom is not a huge operator, they're high quality, fantastic Swiss mm. operator, but Switzerland is not a big country. No, uh, but I do know in Switzerland, people have the tendency to pick up the phone still and, and very old school and call companies. Yeah. In, in Germany too. Yeah. We work with Telefonica in Germany. Yeah. Germans love that too. Yeah. And maybe it's German speaking. People don't like to chat. Yeah. Oh, it's probably because they have different characters on the keyboard. That must be it. <laughs> That's probably it. And, um, so, so with that, with you know, because the, the volume is going to increase, um, and then with that, you always have to question: Are you going to go broad and narrow, or broad or narrow? What's what's your what's the official artificial approach to that when you start these deployments to get those first million customers using it? Um, do we want to do? If you have so, to use one integrated journey, like it's use case by use case. But uh, let's take Swisscom again as an example. If they in their TV box would have built a solution that could only respond to uh, the query of uh, which actors are in which film, then nobody would use it. So the problem with this is you have to go broad because otherwise the usage is not going to be big enough. But you don't have to boil the ocean. Obviously, you don't have to do all the use cases at the same time. But the TV box is one use case, the IVR, making that human IVR, so making that into a natural language platform instead of a one, press one, press two, press three, you have to do the whole thing. You can't just publish an IVR solution with a phone number for, do you want to change the address of your bill? Then call this number, otherwise call this number, because nobody's going to do that, right? So uh, you have to go broad. And that, that, again, is part of the issue with why management has to buy into this because it's going to be but, costly uh, to go broad. But on, on that phone line, you can just have one phone number and you have the uh, assistant pick up and say, hey, I'm the assistant. What's your question? So I can help you direct you to the right agent. And then if the assistant actually understands the question and knows the answer, then they can say, oh, actually, I can help you with this and then take over, right? So, and But even directing the right agent, the, the assistant still needs to understand the question. Well, yeah, you would, you would need to train more or you just hand it over to the same place. But if you look at Swisscom's use case that the CTIO published recently, an article about one of the big customer experience factors is that people do not get transferred twice. So if you do end up having to talk to a human, you do not get transferred twice because that's painful because there's a wait time every time. Right? So if the, uh, the system does, can't solve the issue for you, it will connect you to the right person, not to a person. Hmm. So I think you have to go broad. Uh, there's really there's very few use cases where you can go narrow. Yeah, but then, yeah, you need that management buy-in from day one. So then you sort of get to the problem that we talked about earlier. I might do a POC to see, hey, this, this works and this could be interesting for us. 
but now you're saying, okay, we got to go broad because we got to do everything on the phone here. What are some of the steps that I can build in in between to get there? So I don't have to go out and ask for 5 million from management immediately, but. So CGI has created a, a solution, which we're also going to be showcasing in London next week. Um, it's just a simple QR code that, so you can have management, let's see your CEO just hit it on his camera, just scan the QR code, interact with the system. It's a very simple bot uh, that basically just captures some information and then gives you back some information on based on that. But it's a great use case to just show that it works. You can talk or you can chat with this, uh, this solution. So build something like that to just show that the technology is there, it works. Take the article that CSGI, which is a different integrator, take the one that they published on LinkedIn about the $39 million ROI year one in this large tech company. I mean, what CEO would say, no, that doesn't work for me. But then tell him, hey, if we're going to do this, I'm going to need to buy time from Hans. I'm going to need to buy time from an integrator. I'm going to need to build a center of excellence. I'm going to be spending two, three, four million euros over the next three, four years. You can pull the plug, you know, every month, but it needs to be that type of commitment. Yeah, so you need to buy in and really be invested. But I think now more and more organizations will understand. We, I, when, when companies would call us in the beginning, it would be like they would ask us about a chatbot or a voice assistant. But now it is changing to we're going to use, we are committed to using AI to talk to people. Ultimately, do, uh, that's always the question I ask. Do you think that five, 10 years from now, you're going to use AI to talk to people? Yes. Well, then that's the problem that we're coming in to solve. And then that AI interfaces with people via chat, via phone, doesn't really matter. But that's the core capability that we need to build. And we better get started because our competitor is already doing it. That's usually the... And, and, and now that I mean, we're in retail, we're in bank, we're in insurance, we're in telco, the competitors have started. I mean, just yeah. about every industry, the competitors have started. Yeah. And, 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 and so with that, um, do, do you, when you look at companies where, you know, with these initial phone calls, what are some of the signs that you think, okay, they're going to pull it off? Or what are some of the red flags that maybe you encounter at the beginning of these engagements? But the, I think the worst part is when somebody talks no code. So when they, when, when you, so we, we get RFPs all the time. We got one from the European Union, one of the institutions in the European Union this week. And it, it, it was the first phrase of this was, we're looking for a no code conversation AI solution. It's like crumble it up, throw it in the trash can, because that's just not going to work. And, and you know that a conversational designer is a complex task. You know that building these are complex. You're not going to have a no code solution. It's going to work. It's going to be drag and drop, but what? No, that's not going to work. It's not going to happen. So that's the worst part. Or the other one is, yeah, we want to buy Watson, Lewis, or Google uh, Dialogflow, which means, okay, so you settled on an intent engine and some fringe tools around that. And then you're going to build your development environment. You're going to build your runtime environment. So you're going to be spending 10 million euros before you even start having any effect in actually building something. And that's the other one that you can just sort of ignore. But more and more are coming and just saying that this is the this is what we're after. We're looking to build a and they have the end state, and that makes it much more interesting too. So, if you're going to tell your procurement people something, tell them to look for the end state, not for how to get to the end state, because they're not yeah. going to know the answer to that. And, uh, and it's easy to choose, like Watson, for example, but there just aren't any successful Watson impl- implementations 
on a large scale because it's so costly just to build it. That, yeah. yeah, but nobody ever got fired for choosing IBM, right? Maybe not. Not, uh... I mean, absolutely. <laughs> But lots of people have been fired from Watson, that's for sure. <laughs> that's also true. Yeah, we know quite a few. And um, so so now the industry, we sort of see all these enterprises on this journey you know, to building their own AI assistants at scale. What are some of the things that might be like a true game changer in the industry? What does the industry as a whole need to get there? And, you know, I think a couple of years ago, it might have been the introduction of smart speakers, right, where all of a sudden... It became very out in the open that there was a thing, but what do we need now to get to that next level? I think it's cloud. I think cloud and ecosystem are the two things that are going to make that happen. So it's it's we're Kubernetes based, right? So we're we're, uh, we're K8 deployable on any sort of cloud technology, but we deploy it on Azure and we sell it as a software as a service because that, again, I think that that's the right ecosystem. But once you're in there, there's so many things you can connect to and using the same security solution, using the same PII, so we're masking out the data in the same way and all this, which makes the solution so much easier to develop than before, which was you sell something to somebody and the first three months you're discussing with IT how many servers to provision and what virtualization software to use and, and where we're going to store the data and what's going to be encrypted and what's not going to be encrypted and blah, 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 blah. You don't have that anymore, right? So with us, you can push the button on, on our free trial or sandbox, and within a couple of minutes, you're already developing. And as long as you have the API keys and the credentials to your Salesforce, to your ServiceNow, to whatever systems you're using, you'd be integrated, right? That's a, It's yeah. as easy as that. So the whole ecosystem of cloud, totally, that's it. That's that's what's going to change this, and it's going to change quickly and dramatically. And is it going to become too easy then? Because that's the you know then everybody might just start hacking stuff together that becomes super smart without the right buy-in maybe or the right expertise around creating these experiences. That could be like a downside of of it being too easy. I I agree with that, but but I think we passed that. So everybody is on generation two or three. Right, so no management is going to sign off another POC pilot, another Watson build project. Or I bet you if you go to some of those that are built on top of Watson and you ask them if they thought it was worthwhile and they would do it again, they would probably say no uh, because they spent a ton of money to get there. And so everybody's been there, right? So they're not going to allow that again to happen. So the, what, what I foresee happening is that the engineers, they start building something. They put something together. We have lots of people playing in our... Yeah. in our sandbox so they build something they go to management to say hey i think we can increase customer experience by doing this and this and look at that company they did it and they will find those resources on our website too and then they get the funding to build up an organization to build in that same tool but the thing is that you don't need that whole it infrastructure give me the apis or build me the apis all of that stuff we sort of passed we, we passed that but that that just makes it so much easier uh, to build that. I think generation three of conversational AI, so generation one was the scripted chatbot, generation two was low code, no code, or uh, let's build everything on top of Watson. And generation three is let's build something that actually has impact uh, with the knowledge of what happened before. And I think that's what we are. So I, I really think Hans that making the technology easy makes the project a lot more uh, easy to fund 
Yeah, and it, and I think what I've gathered from this conversation, and we're, we're sort of getting to the end of it, is to make it easy, but don't dumb it down. That's I think oh, like yeah. the understand the complexity and respect the complexity, and then find an elegant, easy to use solution rather than thinking, ah, no code, just put it in, or you have a chat, you have something with a chat interface that talks to people. Is, is there? A, yeah. I'm gonna write that down. Make it easy. Don't dumb it down. I think that's a brilliant. Uh, that's a that's a brilliant. Uh, I expect it on a T-shirt someday. Yeah, let's 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 print some T-shirts. Yeah, I like that. Right. I should print some for London next week. Yeah, you know, it's a live event in London. I'm I'm really excited about this. There's gonna be thousands of people in one big room. Really? Am am I still allowed to go? I don't know if I can get in. I could check. I might want to go there though. Oh, we can probably get you in. Absolutely. Give us a call. Yeah, but it's, it, am I allowed in the country? I guess that's the, the well, we're, we're, we'll talk about that later. We're getting yeah, to the it's, just, it's, it's double testing. Yeah. But, but, but to your point, I mean, choose a software which is going to support your team collaboration efforts, your quality efforts, your security efforts, and all that stuff. But make it something that actually helps you in the development process, not something that makes you have to create in the development process. Don't go low code, no code. And then get yourself a partner one for training your center of excellence and one for building until you have your center of excellence. I mean, it's as simple as that. And I think that's what people are going to do. And I mean, CSGI, CGI, Tech Mahindra, they're all examples of partners implementing for us now in customers building their center of excellence in parallel. And I think that's, that's the way to go. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And for anyone, I guess, you know, you've, you've just given them the, the playbook You've just given it a pair autism playbook of, of how to make conversational AI successful. Is there um, anything that you feel I forgot to ask you or, or is there anything that you would like to share? Any advice for people or recommendations? I think a recommendation today is definitely Clubhouse podcasts. Listen to them, look at them, and then go out and look at some of the solutions that are out there and if you're in Switzerland, do call Swisscom's uh, customer care. If you're in Switzerland and in somebody's home, play with their TV box. Check it out. Check how it works. Go to a Circle K petrol station, retail station, a retailer, and check how this stuff actually helps you. Uh, and use that in the pitch that you do to management. I like that. It's so easy to educate yourself that don't make a fool out of yourself. There's no reason for you to make dumb mistakes anymore when you're, when you're venturing out into the world of conversational AI. Yeah, and, and reading on the web is less and less informational, I think. So really use those conversational tools that are out there, the podcasts, the the, um, the clubhouse sessions, etc. I mean, they're really, really good. Well, that's, that's, we all know that now, and, and everybody listen to this thing. Um, that's great. People now obviously want to talk to you and hang out with you. Where do they find you? Should they email you, go to the website, find you on LinkedIn? Uh, I'm totally LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn slash IN slash Per Otterson. So it's, it's my first and last name. Two T's, two S's. S super simple. All right. Thanks. Super simple. Thank you so much for, for doing this. And I, I very much enjoyed this. And I learned quite a bit. Excellent, Hans. So uh, make it easy. Don't dumb it down. <laughs> make it easy, but don't dumb it down. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Hans. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey there, you made it to the end. Congratulations. I really appreciate that. Uh, I know you're busy, so you've listened to a full episode. So congrats on you. Great job. So now what should we talk about? No, I'm just kidding. First of all, thanks. 
second of all, if you want to learn more about Conversation Design Institute, I highly recommend that you go to the website conversationdesigninstitute.com. And there you can sign up for a free account and start your learning journey. So you can learn about you know, AI training, conversation design, conversational copywriting. There's lots of technology courses. So now that you've gathered these technology agnostic skills, uh, what are you going to do next? You know, Are you going to learn about Allen App, Qbox, Raza, Cognigy? We have all these different technology courses as well. So there's a whole, whole portfolio. So I recommend you know going there, creating a free account, watching a few videos. If that's enough for you, Great. Uh, if you want more, you can just enroll and become a certified professional. These courses are really good if you are, you know, an individual designer, writer that wants to learn about conversational AI. But if you're an enterprise and you're looking to skill up your team, uh, lots of enterprises onboard their entire team to these courses to skill them up quickly. And it's also an option to add extra workshops with that and extra coaching sessions. So you quickly get that enterprise team where you want it to be. If that's a little too much, maybe uh, there's also papers you can download on the website, maybe learn a bit about how we've helped Vodafone skill up 100 people in different countries, in different languages, using different technologies, creating the Toby chatbot in apps, on websites, in voice, all these types of things. So you can learn about that too. The best way to stay in touch, follow the podcast. You know, you'll, you'll hear all the latest updates. Uh, say hello on Twitter. H-V-D-A-M is my handle. Stands for Hans von Damme, obviously. Uh, or just type in my name on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I post regularly. I like to engage with people there. Uh, so feel free to do that. So again, thank you so much to for listening to this podcast. You know, happy to meet again for the next one. <laughs> <laughs>